Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.06 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the sixth day of October 2023, and this is episode 807 of Bitcoin. And I've added a couple of things to the market report. I've permanently added the DXY, and we're going to try to go through bonds, right? I've CNBC has a whole section for uh, bond yields, because generally speaking, when I do, when I'm doing the uh, CNBC futures and commodities report, the only thing that I get for bonds is the face value price increase and decrease by percentage and dollar. Uh, it doesn't tell you the yields, which I find, honestly, I find that just dumb. It should have like how much the face value increased and what the yield is, but it doesn't. So I got to go find that in a different place, but I'll have those along with the standard market report in the middle of the show. Um, where shall we begin? Well, let's begin with a fair amount of shit coinery, just, you know, just for a warm up. Coin Telegraph, and it looks like it is written by who? But none other than Helen Parts. Yes, Helen Parts. The rise of Ethereum staking came at a cost of higher centralization, according to a report from J.P. Morgan. Our good friends over there at J.P. Morgan, even shit, even they can see this crap. The rise of Ethereum staking since major network upgrades, the merge, and Shanghai has come at the cost of higher centralization and lower staking yields, a new report by J.P. Morgan said. J.P. Morgan analyst led by senior managing director Nikolaus, there is no way I'm pronouncing this one, Pani Geertzelglu, I'm serious, man, it's bizarre, issued a new investor note on October the 5th warning about the risks stemming from Ethereum's growing centralization. The top five liquid staking providers, Lido, Coinbase, Figment, Binance, and Kraken, control over 50% of staking on the Ethereum network, J.P. Morgan analyst noted in the report, adding that Lido alone accounts for almost one-third. In, yeah, Lido by itself accounts for damn near like 32.5% of all the staked Ethereum. One organization. Yeah, that sounds safe. I'm sure everything will be fine. The analyst mentioned that the crypto community has seen the decentralized liquid staking platform Lido as a better alternative to centralized staking platforms associated with central exchanges like Coinbase or Binance. However, in practice, quote, even decentralized liquid staking platforms involve a high degree of centralization, J.P. Morgan's report said, adding that a single Lido node operator accounts for more than 7,000 validator sets or roughly around a quarter 
of a million Ether. Holy shit. These node operators get selected by Lido's decentralized autonomous organization, which is controlled by just a few wallet addresses, quote, making Lido's platform rather centralized in its decision-making, the analyst further wrote. The report mentioned a case when Lido's DAO rejected a proposal to cap the staking share at 22% of Ethereum's overall staking to avoid centralization. Quote, Lido didn't participate in the initiatives as its DAO rejected the proposal by an overwhelming majority of 99%, J.P. Morgan analysts wrote, adding, quote, needless to say, that centralization by any entity or protocol risks, or rather, protocol creates risks to the Ethereum network as a concentrated number of liquidity providers or node operators could act as a single point of failure or become targets for attacks or or collude to create an oligopoly. The JP Morgan's own analyst has now they're they're pulling that term out of their ba- out of their ass oligopoly. Of all the people that should be talking about oligopolies, JP Morgan they know what an oligopoly is, right? They, they are one almost. But when they use the word to describe something like liquid staking or this Lido staking for Ethereum, yeah, this is, stay away from this crap, I'm telling you. Apart from higher centralization, post-merge Ethereum is also associated with an overall staking yield decline. The standard block rewards declined from 4.3% before the Shanghai upgrade to 3.5% currently, the analyst wrote. The total staking yield has declined from 7.3 before the Shanghai upgrade to around 5.5% currently, the report added. JP Morgan analysts aren't the only Ethereum observers who have noticed a significant increase in network centralization following the merge upgrade. Executed on September 15, 2022, the merge has been seen as a major impediment to Ethereum's decentralization and a major reason for dropping yields. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin has admitted that node centralization is one of Ethereum's main challenges. In September of 2023, he said that finding a perfect solution to handle this problem may take another 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. 20 years for the centralization problem that was purposely introduced knowingly and wittingly into Ethereum is going to take 20 years to fix. What happened if you just didn't put that shit in there in the first place? Now, this this is why I Bitcoin. Everything that's in this article is exactly why I Bitcoin. You've got bullshit yields that nobody really knows where the hell that yield's coming from anyway. They're dropping. You've got Lido with over 30, like a third of control of all staked Ethereum. You got J.P. Morgan calling this shit a flat-out oligopoly and coming from the mouth of J.P. Morgan, that's saying something. Nobody should have anything to do with this. Now, here's the kicker. When we go back to Lido, remember there's like Lido and Coinbase, Figment, Binance, and Kraken are the five major stakers. Coinbase has like 8% of the Ethereum staked. Figment, 5. Binance, like 4%. Kraken is like 3.5. Lido's got 32.5%, roughly right around there. Now, check this out. 
Quote, Lido didn't participate in the initiatives as its Dow rejected the proposal to cap the staking share at 22% of Ethereum's overall staking by an overwhelming majority of 99%. So they put it up to a vote. They put it up for a vote and the Dow, there was 1% of the people that are in, that have anything to say about what Lido does and how much they're staking one percent of them said, "Yeah, we should cap this shit at twenty-two percent." One percent, only one percent. The vast majority of all the people that have anything to do with voting in Lido said, "We want as much of this shit as we can get." And now they have thirty-two point five percent of ether that is staked. Did, can somebody tell me how this is a good idea? I don't think anybody out there exists that can. I'm just saying. Now, in a very surprising development in the case of Grayscale v. SEC, Grayscale has won their court case versus the Securities and Exchange Commission. Bitcoin ETF on the horizon? I don't know, but Ivan Serrano from Bitcoin Magazine will tell us all about it, I'm sure. Grayscale Investments, LLC one of the world's largest crypto asset managers has secured an unexpected court win against the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. A three-judge panel in D.C.'s Court of Appeals in Washington ruled that the SEC's denial of Grayscale's proposal was, quote, arbitrary and capricious, in that the SEC failed to explain the difference in treatment between spot Bitcoin ETFs and future Bitcoin ETFs. The landmark ruling is believed to be a boon to the industry fraught with regulatory uncertainty. Grayscale said to to be the equivalent of a crypto Goldman Sachs of for large OTC trades could pave the way for future decisions that favor the first Bitcoin ETF or any product of its kind. Moreover, the court ruling may have set a new trajectory for Bitcoin, creating the foundation for the next wave of financial products built on the original crypto asset. But what does Grayscale's legal victory mean for retail investors, institutions, Bitcoin price, broader crypto share in the markets in general? Is it a genuine cause for optimism considering that the crypto industry has faced significant blows to its image since 2022, which included scandals among well-known projects and exchanges, resulting in severe government pushback? Could it be something to look forward to after Bitcoin has been trading sideways for quite a while now? The court victory is the second legal triumph for the crypto industry in recent months. In July 2023, a judge ruled in favor of Ripple Labs, oh God, stating that the company did not violate federal laws by selling its XRP token on public exchanges. Yeah, that's not a victory. That that was a that's actually a loss for all of retail because XRP and Ripple, they are scammers. They are homeboys that just want to take your money, and XRP is a security. Torres, Judge Torres. Uh, in Southern District of New York. Now, she was wrong. She was wrong. In this particular case, the SEC is actually right. Ripple and that bullshit token of them, they they are trading an unregistered security by every measure that can be measured. I'm just saying. 
Moving on, Bitcoin, however, sets itself apart as an asset as it is not considered a security by most government laws, unlike other crypto tokens with more centralized issuance and governance. Given the proper framework, it can also become an important reserve currency. Some analysts believe the recent developments concerning Grayscale have increased the probability of a spot Bitcoin ETF approval. What's next for Bitcoin ETFs? Well, the future depends on how SEC Chair Gary Gensler decides to play it. Does he capitulate or fight till the bitter end? Gensler and the SEC have several options. First, the U.S. SEC can choose to appeal the case, and if it does, the order will be stayed until a decision is made on the appeal. Afterwards, the regulator is given 45 days to decide. The SEC can take this route. However, the stern ruling will appeal to a more challenging option. The SEC's succeeding options hinge upon their decision to appeal. As their next move, they could approve all or some of the spot Bitcoin ETF applications already lined up. Besides Grayscale, financial, oh sorry, excuse me, financial behemoths like BlackRock, Vanek, uh, Wisdom Tree, Valkyrie, Fidelity, Invesco, ARK21 shares, they've all lined up their Bitcoin ETF applications. Approving one or all of these applications could be a watershed moment for Bitcoin. If the SEC decides to continue its hostile stance, it can choose to delay as long as possible or as permitted by law. The SEC has a window of 240 days to approve or deny ETF applications. ARCS is the earliest application among the institutions this year, published in the Federal Register on May the 15th. This date means that the SEC must decide on the first application by January the 10th, 2024. The third option for Gensler and the SEC would be to spin a new rationale for denying applications. This new approach will push Grayscale to sue again. The previous argument that the market size for a spot Bitcoin ETF was insufficient to prevent manipulation can no longer be used. The last option for the U.S. SEC is to kill the Bitcoin futures ETF. In theory, this scenario is possible, but highly unlikely because the SEC recently approved leveraged Bitcoin futures and thus would find it inconvenient to backtrack on its decision. Should a spot Bitcoin ETF be approved, however, the decision would impact crypto and finance in an unprecedented fashion. The following are the likely scenarios. More than a regulatory development, a spot Bitcoin ETF approval could open a floodgate of opportunities and revitalize the markets. ETFs make investing more accessible. They make trading easier on traditional stock markets. A spot Bitcoin ETF would simplify access to Bitcoin without the technological complexity such as managing digital wallets and trading Bitcoin on retail exchanges. These or those not interested in learning the technical side or keeping their Bitcoin in self-custody will benefit from this new financial product. Moreover, the added protections of an ETF wrapper could appeal to more conservative participants. This development could introduce a new wave of investors into the crypto markets. A retail investor, often they're often limited because they can be excluded from significant opportunities in markets due to minimum required investment, the need for specialized knowledge and technical barriers. Bitcoin ETFs can transform retail access to Bitcoin by simplifying it. A retail investor can purchase 
an ETF share through a traditional brokerage account. With this simple purchase, one can gain exposure to Bitcoin price movement, thus becoming the gateway to new investment opportunities. Regardless of the brokerage account size or geographic location, individuals can access the world's best performing asset over the last decade without learning new skills. The market could respond favorably to the news of a Bitcoin ETF approval. Bitcoin immediately responded to the report of Grayscale's court victory by registering a 6% jump. However, That was more of a knee-jerk reaction, which might not be sustained without solid footing. A proper ETF approval could send the price upwards by communicating a message of institutional acceptance, regulatory clarity, and legitimacy. The new regulatory status of a spot Bitcoin ETF could shift the sentiment among retail investors to a more bullish tone. The speculation around the influx of new retail investors and the possible entry of more institutional capital could influence the price. Institutional investors are hesitant over new asset classes, and Bitcoin is no different. ETFs provide the regulatory oversight, custodial services, and liquidity necessary for institutions to invest entirely in crypto. With these new protections underway, the institutional interest could skyrocket, thus unlocking billions of dollars of institutional capital. ETFs represent a crucial regulatory on-ramp to crypto markets. While Grayscale's unexpected court victory against the U.S. SEC is a positive signal on the way to a spot Bitcoin ETF approval, it ain't a guarantee. However, it does narrow the legal obstacles towards a Bitcoin ETF in the foreseeable future. In the speculative journey that is the crypto markets, the victory is cause for cautious optimism and encourages financial institutions to pile on their applications. Currently, the crypto markets are in a slump. Trading volumes are low. Yeah, we get it. Several of the world's largest asset managers already want in on the action. Multi-trillion dollar BlackRock sent shockwaves to the industry by filing its Bitcoin ETF application, causing others to file suit. Should one or all of these Bitcoin ETF applications be accepted by regulators, it will signal a transformative event. One that could mirror the impact of the first gold ETF. For now, however, it indicates an escalation of the battle between crypto giants or financial innovators and regulators wherein the best arguments and the most determined proponents prevail. With this new development, we could stand on the cusp of a new era of Bitcoin and crypto investments. Keeping track of the moving landscape and adapting investment strategies is essential. Okay, so what do you guys think? Uh, see how many people do I got in here? Nope. Nobody's listening to <laughs> Nobody is on the Zap stream. Oh, well, it is what it is. It's Friday. And I have noticed that, you know, most, uh, like I, I generally speaking, have see a decline in a listenership on Fridays. It's really weird. Wednesday seems to be the highest listened to shows that I have. But moreover, when I hear other podcasters talk, they talk about the middle of the week being their highest trafficked uh, dates too. It's kind of odd. So I don't know what it is about a Friday, but hey, it is what it is. Um, but what do you guys think? Like throw me a boostagram as to you know what it is you think about this, specifically about Grayscale winning this. Because I, I was unprepared for this news. Not that I'm like jumping up and down or freaking out or anything like that, but it is weird that all of a sudden 
here like without any warning whatsoever that even a uh that some kind of you know decision was going to be handed down today i wake up and all of a sudden grayscale has won their court case against the sec and that thing's been dragging on for a while does it mean that a spot bitcoin etf is on the horizon i don't know do, do what do you think also what do you think about the fact does bitcoin actually need this my my personal um, feeling is that Bitcoin itself is going to be fine with or without it. Because I'm not talking about the price of Bitcoin. That's not Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the network. People making transactions on the network. That's Bitcoin. The security of Bitcoin. The miners of Bitcoin. The hash rate. The difficulty adjustment. All of that. That's Bitcoin. ETF's not going to change any of that shit. The only thing that it can do is get more people into it at the institutional level. Do you think that that's important? Do you think that that's going to be something that you want to see if whether it is that you do or you don't throw me a boostagram or pile pile on me in you know on Noster whatever however it is that you want to do that to answer that question. I really do want to know what you guys are thinking about this because this was unexpected to me. Now, Binance. Binance has been seeing some problems. Well, they've got other problems. And out of Cointelegraph, we have, again, Helen Parts telling us that the Binance spot market share has dropped for the seventh consecutive month. Wow. Major global cryptocurrency exchange Binance has reportedly continued to lose its market share amid ongoing regulatory issues. Binance's spot market share fell for a seventh consecutive month in September of 2023, Bloomberg reported on October the 5th, citing analysis from cryptocurrency data provider CC Data. According to the report, Binance's spot market share dropped from 38.5% in August to 34.3% in September. In January of 2023, Binance's spot market share accounted for as much as 55%. Apart from the spot markets, Binance has also been losing market share in the derivatives market. According to the report, Binance derivatives market share tumbled from 53.5% in August to 515 in September. In January, the exchange's market dominance in the derivatives market accounted for 62%. According to CC Data research analyst Jacob Joseph, Binance's regulatory challenges in the United States are not the only reason the exchange has lost its market share. The analyst believes the drop is also due to Binance halting its zero-fee trading promotion for major trading pairs. Binance's market share drop also came as Binance wraps up services in some of its key markets this year. In September, Binance announced its full exit from Russia, selling its entire local business to the newly launched Comex exchange founded by undisclosed entities. Russia was one of the largest markets for Binance, with Russian visitors accounting for nearly 7% of the platform's traffic. Binance introduced changes to its trading fees in early September, reapplying a regular taker fee based on the user's VIP level. For example, Binance started charging a 0.1% taker fee on spot and margin trades from regular users. According to the report, Binance lost spot trading volume has been distributed among exchanges like HTX, formerly Huobi, Bybit, Digifinex, rival exchanges like OKX, Bybit, and Bit, 
BitGit have reportedly also picked up market share in derivatives. So there you go. And I just found out that I have been, uh, I had my, the mic open or rather the desktop audio open on Zapstream, which meant anybody that was listening to the Zapstream was getting a massive amount of echo. That's my bad. I, I totally failed all of you on that. I'm sorry. It is now fixed, but that doesn't really matter. <coughs> Everybody that was tuned in basically said, oh, this joker just, he screwed up bad. And, you know, that's that's okay. I'm not all that upset about it. I'm still getting my my feet wet on this whole streaming thing, and that's just one of the that's one of the uh, one of the things that happens when you're streaming live is that mistakes like this are are inevitable. And I've seen really bad mistakes. I mean, the kind of embarrassing mistakes that nobody nobody can get away from uh, because they stay with you forever. Nobody's going to give a shit that I accidentally opened up the uh, audio from the Zap stream and lit it basically echo in your ears for the first. <laughs> 10 minutes of the show or 20 minutes of the show. Anyway, anyway, we've got yet more stuff here. I've got this announcement from Swan and Blockstream. Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman writing, Swan seeks to boost custody offerings with Blockstream partnership. Ah, that was a good choice, Swan. See, I knew Corey wasn't a dipshit. I knew he wasn't. I knew that he was trying to get out of get out. He was basically in get out, get out, get out mode. Fortress trust, prime, uh, prime trust, that whole thing. It lo- I, I knew that Corey was going to try to start taking the steps in the right direction. And it looks like he has taken the first step today. Blockstream. A global leader in Bitcoin infrastructure announced a partnership with Swan Bitcoin, a prominent Bitcoin-only financial services company to launch Swan Vault, (coughs) enabling customers to safeguard their Bitcoin via collaborative custody. According to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, Swan Vault is powered by Blockstream Jade, an open-source Bitcoin hardware wallet. Quote, Integrating Blockstream Jade's multi-signature and hardware-based authentication into Swan Vault elevates the standards of Bitcoin collaborative custody, said Swan Bitcoin CEO Corey Clipston. Quote, the user-centric focus on security is a key aspect of this partnership. This partnership attempts to address a common concern among Bitcoin investors, the secure storage of their assets. While many Bitcoin investors prioritize security, they may lack expertise in key management and multi-signature technology. SwanVault, backed by Blockstream Jade, aims to bridge this gap by providing a collaborative custody solution for BTC hodlers. This allows customers to maintain full control over their Bitcoin holdings while enjoying a user-friendly experience for setting up their wallets and conducting transactions. Quote, In bringing our technical expertise into the mix with Swan's user-centric approach, we are advancing the practice of collaborative custody in the Bitcoin ecosystem, said Adam Back, CEO at Blockstream. Quote, it's aimed at driving adoption and making collaborative custody a normalized practice in the Bitcoin industry. Swan Vault is the latest product to offer collaborative custody solutions, joining Unchained, Casa, and Nunchuck. So, this is this proves to me that that Corey is on the right track. And I get the feeling 
that he's going to be doing more stuff with Blockstream as far as custody solution goes for his customers, he has got to get away from Fortress Trust. He has no choice at this point. He cannot have Swan Bitcoin's name right next to this utter shit show. It's bad for the brand. It's bad for the brand. It's bad for the brand. We Fortress Trust, it was almost immediate. It almost immediately came out that it was the same dude as Prime Trust. Prime Trust was Swan's preliminary or, or former custody partner. And they got their ass handed to them in in a number of ways. And then they moved over to Fortress Trust. It took all of 48 hours, maybe 72 hours to, for us to figure out that that company was started by the same dude that started Prime Trust. So Corey's right back in the shit again. And then Fortress is going to get bought out by Ripple. That's bad for the brand. And then Ripple takes a look at what's going on at Fortress and says, we don't want to have anything to do with this company. And they backed out. I am really happy that Corey is forming relationships with better Bitcoin companies. And say what you want about Blockstream, that they're all lizard people and that they're here to destroy Bitcoin. That's not true. I don't know how that has actually become to be, or come to be a prevalent description of what's going on with Blockstream, but it just ain't so. I hate to be the one to tell you this first, but it just ain't so. Um, oh boy. The SBF trial. Yes, we're, we're, we're going to get into some of this. Um, hold on. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so be prepared to be prepared for some of the most candid information directly from Gary Wang about what the hell was going on. Turner Wright is going to start us off with this one, Cointelegraph. Gary Wang, the co-founder and former chief technology officer of crypto exchange, uh, FTX was the latest witness to testify in the criminal trial of former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. According to reports from InterCity Press, Wang addressed the courtroom on October the 5th following testimony from former FTX developer Adam Yadida and Paradigm co-founder Matt Huang. The former chief technology officer reportedly admitted to committing crimes during his time at FTX, with the help of Bankman Fried, former Alameda Research CEO Carolyn Ellison, and former FTX Engineering Director Nashid Singh, quote, We allowed Alameda to withdraw unlimited funds, said Wang, in response to questioning from Assistant United States Attorney Danielle Sassoon. He added, quote, Sam handled speaking to the media, lobbying, talking with investors. I just coded. In the end... It was Sam's decision to make regarding any disagreements. End quote. October the 5th marked the third day of Bankman Fried's criminal trial in New York. Witnessing largely or witnesses largely spoke of connections between Alameda and FTX prior to the exchange's bankruptcy filing, including testimony that SBF had directed employees to use FTX user funds to cover losses at Alameda. 
Wang's testimony was a result of an agreement with prosecutors as part of a guilty plea filed in December of 2022. Ellison and Singh are also expected to testify against SBF before the trial likely concludes in November. Bankman Fried will likely remain in jail through his criminal trial following an order from Judge Lewis Kaplan revoking his bail in August. Prosecutors accused SBF of engaging in witness intimidation against Ellison and others. It's unclear if SBF plans to speak in his own defense at trial. Under the U.S. Constitution, no person can be forced to offer certain testimony if they might incriminate themselves. Yeah, that's the that's the Fifth Amendment. All right. Hey, Kid Warp, how you doing out there, buddy? Um, there's a lot more to Gary Wang's testimony and we're going to get into it right now. Uh, o- uh, Matt O'Dell, uh, wrote a note on Noster that's got a fair amount of Gary Wang's, uh, testimony, uh, the question and answer. So let's get in, let's pull this apart a little bit more. So here's Gary Wang on the stand. The question he gets is this. Did you commit financial crimes while working at FTX? He answers, yes. Now, I'm just pausing right there. That answer, yes. There was no no qualifications. No, yes. There wasn't like a yes, but I didn't know. There was no, no waffling, no nothing. Did you commit financial crimes while working at FTX? The answer is yes. What types of crimes did you commit? Wire fraud, securities fraud, commodities fraud. Did you commit these crimes by yourself or with other people? With other people. Who were the main people you committed these crimes with? Sam Bankman fried, Nishad Singh, and Carolyn Ellison. You're talking about Alameda Research, aren't you? Yes. Okay, we'll come back to it in a minute. When you say withdrew unlimited amounts of funds, whose funds are you talking about? Those of customers. Let's talk about, uh, sorry, and customers of what? The customers of FTX. Question. Mr. Wang, do you see any of the people you committed those crimes with in the courtroom today? You can stand up if you need to. Yes. Whom do you see? Sam Bankman fried. <laughs> Mr. Ruse, this is the, the he's talking this is the the attorney or the I guess the attorney. He basically says the following, let the record reflect the witness has identified the defendant. Question, Mr. Wang, in general terms for now, what did you do with the defendant that was the wire fraud you're referring to? Well, we gave special privileges to Alameda Research on FTX, which allowed Alameda Research to withdraw unlimited amounts of funds from the platform, and we lied about this to the public. When you say withdrew unlimited funds from the platform, what are you referring to? It had the ability to, regardless of what was in the account, to withdraw unlimited amounts of money. Okay, so that's what that's what is in this note from from Matt Odell. That yeah, there's got and surely there's there's more testimony. I mean, I just I I this is enough for us to go through over today. 
Think about the questions that are being asked and the directness and the candor of the answers. In in none of these answers, on any of these questions, was there any kind of yes, but, or any kind of waffling back and forth, just like that first question that, that I started this all off with. This is a guy who's basically telling the absolute God's honest truth as near as I can tell reading this. Simply because there's no waffling. There's no obfuscation. There's no, let me answer that question with a 15-minute diatribe about how trees grow. Like you see in like testimony in, in front of the House of Representatives or the Senate. Right? Could you please just answer the question yes or no? And then the guy says, sure, but here, what, what I want to do is, is go through this entire diatribe of all this bullshit so that I can confuse you and make you forget what question you asked. See, that happens all the time in Senate. Not here. Not here. This dude is taking Sam Bankman fried, binding him up in chains, and throwing him under a train with about 5,000 train cars running behind it. If Sam Bankman-Fried gets out of this, there will be no other proof that any citizen of the world needs that the United States judicial system is completely corrupt. It is, for me, I I already get it. It's corrupt beyond all comprehension of the word. But it will be evident to the goat herder in sub-Saharan Africa that the United States judicial system is corrupt. You cannot survive this testimony. It's impossible to survive this testimony. This was one of his closest compatriots. And Carolyn is next. And that other dude, who's that other dude? Singh? Uh, Yeah, Nishad Singh and Carolyn Ellison are next up on the stand. What the hell are they going to say? I This is fascinating to me. It is fascinating to me, but we do have numbers to run. CNBC, futures and commodities. I got oil. Doing a little bit of recovery since this last week's basic $10 drop is basically what we're looking at. It was at 92 bucks a barrel for West Texas Intermediate. It's now at 82.50 and that's after a recovery of 1 quarter percentage point. Brent North Sea is up 0.4 to $84.41. Natural gas, however, is still swinging for the fences. 4.77% to the upside. That's $3.31 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is up 0.06% to $2.19. All of your shiny metal rocks are doing very well today. Gold is up 0.7 to $1,844.60. Silver is up 3.2%. Platinum is up 2.5%. Copper is up two and a third. Palladium is up damn near two points. Lumber is up 0.62. And most of ag is in the green. In fact, the biggest winner today is sugar, 2.3% to the upside. There's only three in the red column that I can see, and that is uh, being led by wheat to the downside, uh, 1.82%. In fact, that's a hell of a, a little tumble there. Live cattle is three quarters of a point to the upside. Lean hogs up almost two points. 
And feeder cattle is 0.32% to the upside. The Dow is up. Wow, almost a full point. S&P is up a point and a fifth. NASDAQ is up a point and a half. And the S&P mini is up one full point. Okay. I I can't imagine why. Why on earth would uh why on earth would that be happening? I I, I just don't understand. I don't I, I don't understand. Maybe, maybe it's because of this. The United States added 336,000 jobs in September, nearly doubling expectations. And Bitcoin slips 1%. Uh, this is Coindesk. Stephen Alfer is going to take us through the macro here. It was a blowout employment data for the economy last month with the Bureau of Labor Statistics Friday morning. Reporting 336,000 jobs added in September versus economists' forecast of just 170. August originally reported 187,000 jobs gained was revised upwards to 227,000. The unemployment rate was unchanged at 3.8% and against expectations for a decline to 37 The price of Bitcoin fell just shy of 1% in the minutes following the news to 27000 $530. Always an important report. This month's job numbers have taken on particular significance given the route in government bond prices over the past five weeks that seen the yield on the 10-year Treasury note rise from just above 4% to as high as 4.8 earlier this week. That sharp rise in rates has taken a sizable chunk out of the stock market, with the NASDAQ lower by about 6% September the, since September the 1st and the S&P 500 down a similar amount. While not necessarily in major rally mode as stock and bond prices have tumbled, Bitcoin has managed to hold its own, rising over the same time frame from about 26000 to 27700 ahead of this morning's news. Shortly following the report, stock and bond prices were headed lower again with NASDAQ 100 futures down more than 1% and the 10-year Treasury yield higher by 8 basis points to just shy of 4.8%. The CME FedWatch tool now shows a 31% chance of the U.S. Federal Reserve rate hike at its next policy meeting in November. Ahead of the jobs number, it was just 24%. In other report details, closely followed average hourly earnings were softer than expected, rising 0.2% in September versus forecast of 0.3% and against August's 0.2%. On a year-over-year basis, average hourly earnings were higher by 4.2% versus 4.3% expected and the 4.3% last month. So why the hell is the Dow and all the rest of these jokers in the face of continued bond sell-offs and the fact that we've got a, a, a higher chance of the Fed raising rates because the jobs market is hot, that means the economy's hot. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to throw cold water on it. That doesn't work for the Fed. The jobs report is not what the Fed wanted to see. Of course, you were like, why wouldn't you want full employment? And that's the job of the Fed. That is specifically stated to make sure that we have full employment. But, but, but they're not doing that. In fact, they want a recession because it's the only way to get inflation under control, or at least so they say. I think it's all bullshit myself, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Kids Warp, thank you for the 2.1 thousand Satoshis. I really do appreciate that. Um... I think that 
the legacy markets are up this Friday for two reasons. One, they've sent in the plunge protection team. However, I think it's also 50% part of retail being so beat down that they will look, even though the jobs report means that interest rates are going higher, which means bonds are going to sell off more, which is not a good cycle. This is not a good cycle to have. And generally speaking, it should suppress Dow and S&P and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's nowhere left for it, aside from Bitcoin, which almost most of retail is not into because we don't have the spot Bitcoin ETF. And even if we did, it might not make as much of a difference as you might think. They got nowhere else to fucking go. There's nowhere else to go. It's like if you ever saw like, like uh, what was it? An Officer and a Gentleman starring Richard Gere it was a movie out of the 80s. He's trying to be a naval pilot. He's basically like, this is his last chance. He's smart enough to get into naval pilot school. They accept him in. He's kicking ass. And then all of a sudden he has this, this like this mental breakdown in front of his instructor because his instructor is going to wash his ass out because he can't take this one particular test. He keeps failing it. And the dude freaks out. Richard Gere's character says, I got nowhere else to go. I have to be a naval pilot because I've got nowhere else to go. One of my best friends went to medical school and one night, one night we're at the bar, we're drinking. He's in his first year, first year of med school, right? And it's kicking his ass and he doesn't, he just tells me straight up. He's like, I just really don't want to be a doctor. I hung out with this guy all through cell and molecular biology. Guy was, guy was smart. You know, we went, we went to biochemistry together. We went to chemistry together. We went to cell molecular, uh, cell biology together, molecular biology together. We were in Howard Hughes Medical Institute as undergraduate research fellows together. I, mean, I knew this guy for a long time. After it's all said and done, after he, you know, we're graduated from college and he's in medical school, we're at a bar and he says he doesn't want to be a doctor. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? What? Why, why did you go to medical? Why did you go through all the, the crap to get into medical school? And he looked at me and he said, because the only other thing I could be is a plumber. His dad was a plumber. These investors have nowhere else to go. They've got nothing left to buy. They're not buying real estate because mortgage prices are too high. They don't want to buy treasuries because God only knows what the hell's going to happen to the face value of the bonds. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. Everything's on fucking fire. The only place retail has left to go, no matter what jobs reports say, no matter what bond markets do, stock market. That's the only place left. So that's, that's my estimation. But so what are bonds doing? Well, here's the U.S. 30-year bond. Uh, the yield is to 4.92% right now. That's after a 0.042 rise in its rate. The 20-year is at 5.12%. The 10-year is at 478 Everything is in the green. It's changes on, the, on all from one month, one month, two, three, four, six month, one year, two year, three year, five year, seven year, 10 year, 20 year, and 30 year bonds, all of their yields have increased, which means what? All, if you bought bonds yesterday, 
you've already lost money on the face value of your bonds. If you bought in the last auction, right, you're down. Everybody thinks, oh, well, I'll just get it on the yield. Not, not, that's not what bond traders are really doing. Sure, if they get a positive yield, that's great. But they just need a risk-free, they need a risk-free rate of return, and that's the yield part. But what they're really looking for is security that they don't lose the principal value of their investment. And nobody knows what the hell's bonds are going to do. You've got a jobs report right now that just came out that increased by 15% the chances that the Fed is going to raise interest rates, which is going to do what? The bonds are going to, they're, it's all going to raise again, which means that the value of the bonds themselves and the principal is going to be depressed further. It's a never fucking ending cycle. And the only place Joe Schmo Plummer has to go to put his money is the Dow. And I think it's more that, that the markets are up, legacy equity markets are up today than the plunge protection team. For those who want to know, the DXY, the dollar index, is sitting at 106.11 after a quarter percent decline. So you do with that one what you will. Now on to Bitcoin. I've got what? Uh, I've got Bitcoin chilling out at $27,893. Average transaction value is 0.8 BTC. Median transaction value is about 300 bucks. Block times are hideously low, 9 minutes, 0 seconds. Uh, 0.25 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 40 in fees overall in the last 24 hours with an 11.6% jump in hash rate. BitInfo Charts is saying that yeah, we are at 423 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, as always, is Doge, chilling out at 6.1 United States pennies. I've got... Uh, I've got... Market capitalization at $545.8 billion. That's 4.42% of gold's market cap. Uh, You can purchase 15.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,505,618 of, and 5,272.9 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $147.5 million. 14,871 nodes. We are losing nodes, guys. Uh, 64,126 channels that we can see and 82.6% of all that's being run over Tor. Now, mempool.space is showing how many blocks? Oh, 72. Yeah, about 72 blocks carrying a measly 37,800 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with high priority transaction costs of 44 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities, you're going to pay 18. Anything under 1.36 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged for mempools around the world. And mempool.space hash rate is showing 475.9 exahashes per second. So we'll split the difference and say, what, 400 and 460? Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. Um, I am nowhere close to the top 10 on fountain charts, but still people's like, people like God's death help helping me out. 370 sat says, thank you, sir. Enjoy the weekend. Everybody. No, thank you. Pies with a hundred says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And Fatoshi replies to pies and says, I thank you all. And pies says, no, thank you. And wartime psycho says, no, Hugh. And I say no to Hugh all. That's going to do it for the weather report.
Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin enters a quiet bull market as a safe haven from bond market turmoil, according to an analyst. Christian Sandor is writing it for Coindesk. Bitcoin briefly surged above 28,000 during Thursday U.S. morning's hours, then dropped to as low as 27,300 as traders took the opportunity to sell the rally. Of course, the largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization was changing hands at 27.5 recently, flat over the past 24 hours, but still outperforming the wider crypto market. Quote, in the near term, I expect the market to sell into this rally. John Glover, chief investment officer of Ledin, told Coindesk in an email, quote, in the absence of new capital flowing into digital assets, I believe that this is what this rally will be, short-lived, end quote. Glover expects a more durable appreciation will materialize later this year and early next year as Bitcoin appears to be finished with its corrective move. Quote, I do believe that BTC prices will be higher in three months than they are today as technically we've completed the sell-off and I now look for a sustained rally in the second quarter of 2024. Investment research firm ByteTree upgraded its BTC market signal from neutral to bull in a report on Thursday. The crypto's recent price action has defied a rough period for traditional financial markets, offering a fairly safe haven from the route in equity and bond trading. Quote, Bitcoin futures look good, especially when you compare them to the crisis in the bond market. It is the true safe haven from Uncle Sam's bonds, Charlie Morris, chief investment officer at ByteTree, said in a report. He pointed out that BTC is beating the U.S. stock market at a time when surging bond yields wreak havoc on traditional markets. When interest rates peak and the bond sell-off ends, BTC will be off to the races, he said. Morris noted that during BTC's latest corrective move, the crypto held above the key $25,000 level, which capped the price between May of 2022 and March of 2023. If we can hold that $25,000 level, which we probably will, BTC is very much in a bull market, albeit a quiet one. Even if BTC is shaking off rising yields, it's remained, quote, trapped in its $26,000 to $30,000 cage, according to Edward Moya, senior market analyst of the Americas at Forex trading firm Oanda. Quote, what is also preventing crypto investors from becoming more optimistic is that the bond market sell-off refuses to end and that will cripple many crypto startups. Yeah, because everybody is invested in the legacy markets. And what does that mean? Well, if you're not going to put your money, you're not, I mean, these guys in these you know companies, these startups and whatnot, they're not keeping cash in a savings account. That's just dumb. Where do they put them? Well, they put them in a money market. That's one. That's the next step up from a savings account. Where do they go after that? For a little bit longer term storage, they'll be buying treasury bonds. But as we just saw, treasury bonds are a dumpster fire. They've been that way for a long time, right? It's the entire legacy financial system is an illusion. It's, it didn't used to be an illusion, but now all the wealth that you think you see is merely an illusion. There's nothing really there. The only thing that really matters is Bitcoin at this point. Now, again, You'd be asking yourself, well, why the hell is more money flowing into Bitcoin? 
because they don't know about it. They've heard about it and they've heard all the negative stuff about it. They don't understand it. And that combined with all the negative stuff they've heard about it and combined with the fact that their best friend lost their ass on it, it all combines to make a pretty distasteful mix. And that's just me being honest. That's why you're not, I mean, we know if you've been here long enough, you know what's up. But the guys that have, that are literally sitting on zero Bitcoin at this point, they are, it's like a wall. And that's why they're not just jumping all over this stuff like you would expect. It's going to take a spot Bitcoin ETF. That's my whole point. If you if you think of Bitcoin as price only, then you want the Bitcoin ETF, the spot Bitcoin ETF. That's what you're going to want. As a regular Bitcoiner that's trying their damnedest not to give a shit about the price and really trying to look at the tech and what it actually means for freedom around the world, the spot Bitcoin ETF isn't going to do anything. It's not going to change the it's not going to change. It's not going to make a, an adjustment to the difficulty. It's not going to change the protocol in any way, shape, fashion, or form. There's two worlds that Bitcoin exists in. One is the technical world. And all that that means for freedom across the planet from here to eternity. And then there, it ex- also exists in the legacy financial markets as an investment instrument. And honestly, the second part is the wrong way to look at it. But I live in the minority, as most of you that listen to this show also live in that same minority. And that's just the God-honest truth. I'm not going to lie to you. The only way the legacy, the people that exist in the legacy markets, the only way they go in is a spot Bitcoin ETF. Grayscale's win against the SEC might change, might have changed that. That 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 we might see a spot Bitcoin ETF sooner than we think. Some people think it's not going to happen for nine months. Most people, there's very few people. I think I know of one person that's calling for the acceptance of a spot Bitcoin ETF by the end of this year. Most people think it's going to at least be the first quarter of next year. We could see Gary Gensler basically with all the pressure. He's losing case after case. The SEC is getting a black eye. He's like his entire existence is being called into question as the chairman of the SEC. At one point or another, being a human being, he's going to crumble. And it could very well be this year. And if that happens, watch out. And that doesn't mean that the price of Bitcoin is going to skyrocket and keep going to the moon. You've got to look at what happened to the gold ETF, the spot, the gold spot Bitcoin, or the, sorry, the gold spot ETF when it was introduced. Sure, the price shot up. And then all of a sudden, it just didn't go anywhere. And it's been trading sideways for years and years and years. What will that sideways trade for Bitcoin be? Will there be a sideways trade for Bitcoin after a certain amount of, you know, oh, it's brand new and shiny and the legacy markets are able to actually get into it? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that some people, I think they actually get it at the governmental level, at least in Uzbekistan. 
Why do I say that? Because Uzbekistan has just issued a ban on individual Bitcoin mining operations. Let's see if uh, no bullshit Bitcoin or no BS Bitcoin.com can line us out on that. Um, Uzbekistan's National Agency for Prospective Projects issued a decree limiting Bitcoin mining operations exclusively to state licensed entities. If you've got an S9 miner chilling out in the corner of your home and you live in Uzbekistan, you are now no you are now operating that miner illegally. What does that tell you? They want it all. And you don't want something that doesn't have value, do you? New rules also require firms to only use solar power for mining operations with several unspecified exceptions. <laughs> They're bullshitting the, the climate change guys. Quote, the organization of mining activities and service providers is possible only after receiving a permit, a document, and a license in the prescribed manner, stated the industry's watchdog. The legislation also prohibits conducting mining operations at addresses that do not correspond to the address indicated at registration, as well as mining anonymous crypto assets. Uzbekistan wants it all. They want to make sure they know where every Bitcoin is mined because Uzbekistan sees Bitcoin as having value at the level of their federal government. That's, there's, there's no other way to look at that. It's not that they've got it wrong or that they're somehow or another scared or, or, or whatever. That, that, that's not it. The only explanation for something like this at the level of the federal government of Uzbekistan is that they see Bitcoin as having real world value and they want to make sure that they have it all, at least as wherever it is that the, in there, they want a part of it. As far as Uzbekistan miners are concerned, that is like a little feather in the cap of Bitcoin. Even though it's just Uzbekistan, it's the fact that an entire government is like, nope, this shit's got real value. I want a piece of it. You don't want a piece of something that doesn't have value. Speaking of something that has value, memes. Now we have Memester, which is a Noster hub for memes. Again, from No Bullshit Bitcoin, Memester is a Noster hub for memes, trading or trending content, and all things hilariously entertaining. Quote, Memester is a Noster-based web application and community where humor takes center stage, said the project's creator, uh, Sarah Keshtix, at Sarah Keshtix, K-E-S-H-I-T-I-X, I guess, um, as an open source platform. Memester empowers users to express themselves through the art of memes and engage with a diverse community of meme enthusiasts. Users can create new profiles or log in with existing profiles. NIP07s are coming soon. Users can upload memes. Users can like, comment, and zap memes. And there's categories too. And they have a website, and that website is memester.app. Again, that is memester, M-E-M-E-S-T-R dot app, if you want to go check it out. Here's the problem. When I said NIP07 to come soon, that means watch out. When you go to this, if you want to use your uh, Nostra profile, they're going to want your NSEC, your private key. Don't do it. It's not that I think that they're evil. I, I don't believe that, you know, one bit. 
that you've got to wait until they get Nippo 5 or Nippo 7 so that you can use something like an extension like Git Albi or something like that to log in. All right. So don't, don't, don't put your, your, your private key in this website or any other website ever, ever, ever. If you're going to do that, that's when you use the, the web extension like Git Albi, right? I love Git Albi. I wish they'd sponsor the show, but hey, you know, we're all poor. We're all, we've all set the standard for having fun staying poor. We used to tell it for, to everybody else, but in, in reality, what we were doing is we were telling it to ourselves so that we wouldn't feel so bad living under bridges and wearing the robes of monks. <laughs> hey, some things are worth it in life. I'm, I'm telling you, some things are worth it in life. Now, here's another surprising move from a government. You know, like, you know, the SEC lost their case against Grayscale. Well, Canada has relaxed their strict stablecoin rules and introduces some conditions. <laughs> okay, brother. Blockworks is writing it. Uh, no, actually, Shanglin is writing it for Blockworks. Canada's security regulators have offered clarity around the provisional strategy for the trading of stablecoins, which they refer to as value-referred crypto assets. The CSA, Canadian Securities Regulators, an organization provincial of provincial and territorial regulators across the country, acknowledged the potential utility of stablecoins for Canadian clients on Friday. In line with this understanding, the CSA announced on Friday that it may permit trading of specific stablecoins tied to the value of a single fiat currency known as fiat-backed crypto assets, subject to certain terms and conditions, of course. The temporary terms and conditions, influenced in part by feedback from participants in the Canadian cryptocurrency market, aims to tackle investor protection issues associated with stablecoins. These terms stipulate that the stablecoin issuer must uphold an appropriate reserve of assets with a qualified custodian for the benefit of crypto asset holders. Additionally, both the stablecoin issuer and the crypto trading platform that provide these stablecoins must disclose specific information regarding their governance, operations, and asset reserves to the public. In February, the CSA prohibited crypto asset trading platforms from facilitating the purchase or deposit of stablecoins without obtaining prior regulatory consent. Furthermore, it set a 30-day ultimatum for unregistered crypto trading platforms operating within Canada, urging them to either commence registration or cease operations in the country. Subsequently, in May, crypto exchange Binance announced its decision to GTFO the Canadian market, citing the country's stablecoin regulations and limitations on investor activity as reasons behind the move. Other notable exits include Bybit, OKX, Paxos, DYDX, and Bitrix. Blockworks has reached out to Binance for comment on the CSA's latest move. Although the CSA's stance on cryptocurrencies seemed to have softened, it did issue a direct warning. It stressed that, while trading in certain stablecoins may be allowed to continue, Canadian investors should exercise caution as these investments carry inherent risks and should not be regarded as equivalent to fiat currencies. Quote, the fact that an asset satisfies these interim terms and conditions should not be viewed as an endorsement or approval of the asset, nor give any indication that the asset is risk-free. 
What did all that mean? It means that they clamped down on a bunch of stablecoin and they got a whole bunch of crypto exchanges to exit the country and now they've done what? You know what? Uh, Maybe we should soften our stance. Yeah. The real question is, will Binance open back up in Canada? Will Bittrex come back? Will DYDX come back? Will Paxos come back? Will OKX, will Bybit, OKX? I I mean, are they going to come back? Because it looks to me like Canada just bent the knee to at least stable coins. I don't personally care about stable coins, but they're not going away, are they? And this is an indication that the government of Canada is bending the knee to eventually Bitcoin. But... They think they're bending the knee to all this other utility. They're not. They're actually bending the knee to Bitcoin, but it is what it is. Uh, Do we have anything else? No, actually, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Friday. It's Dad Says Jokes Day. My wife asked me why. I wanted to be cremated. I told her it's because it is my last hope for a smoking hot body. (laughs) Get it? Smoking hot body. All right. There you go. Now, 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 now. Uh, We have another tune from Wave Lake. But as a special bonus, I do want to tell you about this announcement from Wave Lake. They've announced artist splits. Yes, they have. Artist splits. And if I can get back up there, I can get to, uh, hold on. There we go. Let's see if I can get to. We are thrilled to announce the introduction of an exciting new feature in the latest update of Studio called Artist Splits. This highly anticipated feature empowers artists by giving them the ability to include up to four Wavelake users in the payment split for their tracks. With splits, artists can now collaborate and share revenue with their fellow musicians, producers, and collaborators more easily than ever before. This not only fosters a sense of community and teamwork within the Wavelake community, but also allows artists to allocate earnings more fairly and transparently. We believe this new feature will revolutionize the way artists collaborate and monetize their music on Wavelake, making it an even more vibrant and inclusive platform for all content creators. So how does it work? When editing a track, artists have the convenience of easily entering the usernames and the respective percentages of the participants in the dedicated split field. This allows for a seamless and efficient process. In addition, artists also have the flexibility to manually add the track percentages or distribute them evenly among all participants with just a single click of the even split button. This user-friendly feature ensures that artists can quickly and accurately allocate credit to the contributors, facilitating collaboration and transparency in the music creation process. It's worth mentioning that any Wavelake user, regardless of whether they are an artist or a listener, is eligible to take part in the split. When adding participants, please make sure to verify their usernames as they might be different from their artist names. To locate usernames, simply click on the avatar located in the top right corner of the screen. Once the splits have been enabled and a payment has been sent, 
All parties involved will be able to see the payments in their respective activity pages. This means that each participant will have a clear record of the payment, making it easier to track and manage their earnings. In the coming weeks, we plan to introduce more split integrations to further enhance the functionality and improve the user experience. If you encounter any issues or have any questions regarding this this feature, please do not hesitate to reach out. Okay, so this is what I want to see is for an artist after the fact, after they upload their song, is be able to add somebody after the fact to their split. Because it sounds to me like you got to do it at the time that you put the song up and you select your four and after that, there is no more. Or you select your two and after that, you can't go edit it. I'm not sure, but if it is that way, then I'm about to play, like for instance, I'm about to play a song from this guy, Sam Means, from his album, Blue Jeans. And it's the song named Found. Now, when I play this, and you will hear it, I would like to be able to tell Sam that I put this up on the Bitcoin and show and give Sam the opportunity to make a decision whether or not he would like to include me in the earnings of this particular song. That would be great because that way, and I don't know Sam. I've never talked to him before. He doesn't know me from Adam. I guarantee you, but like today, like today, I'm probably going to go and, uh, like I like I say on the message board, it says fast becoming one of my favorite artists. Yes. Now this is to Sam. This is not to just this song. This is basically to Sam means at all. But if I can get him to talk to me and I get him to understand that, hey, I'm promoting your music on the podcast, he may very well want to give me a split. So Wave Lake, if any of you guys are listening, it is imperative, imperative that you make a split available for the artist to put into their song after they've uploaded the song for people like for them to include people like me who promote their song after it's already up and with all that said here's found
So if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is definitely the way to go. You can boost me Satoshis. You can stream me Satoshis. It's really the best way to honor and support the artists and the personalities and the people that bring you content right now and forever. It's a personal relationship that you have with your favorite content creator, whether it's, you know, video guy like uh, BTC Sessions or someone like me as a podcaster or like an artist like Sam Means. This is the way forward because all advertising models are broken. And furthermore, all legacy relationships between content creators of any format at all and the legacy institutions that quote-unquote represent them, they're broken too. They're all broke. It's all broken. The only way that we're going to move this forward is for us to directly support each other. No advertising, no nothing. No A&R, artist and repertoire, for all who don't know the, the lingo in the music industry, no, no, like I don't want a contract with Fox News or CNBC. I, you know, and I'm not going to get one anyway. I'm, I know I'm tooting, tooting my, you know, a tiny horn a little too loud, but you get my point. None of this is working any any longer, and the longer the legacy financial markets are are just billowing smoke and on fire in in a capacity that we've never seen before, that brokenness between content creators and the people who quote unquote represent them is going to be even more broke. There, there is only one way forward. And that's stuff like artist splits, sending me Satoshis through Boostagrams and streaming me sats, uh, boosting zap.stream when, when you see a live, when, you know, when, when you're watching me live on zap.stream, this is the only way forward. And the only technology that actually is working with any of this stuff is the lightning network. And that means that you're using real actual Bitcoin. It's happening right before our eyes and you can either take part of it and help everybody along, or you can continue to be told that Taylor Swift is actually a good artist because the, the reason she's as famous as she is is that I think the legacy markets are actually tired of having to promote a catalog of people. And they just said, you know what? We're done. We're just going to pick Taylor Swift and we're going to make her like a goddess beyond Madonna, beyond any of the 80 stars that you've ever seen, beyond any of the notoriety of any of the artists that ever happened in the 90s. No, 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 no. Because that took real actual work for them to go advertise and promote all these different artists. They're, I think they're just saying, fuck it. 
They're done. They're tired. It's Taylor Swift. If you're not going to promote artists like Sam Means directly through boosting on Wavelake and other platforms, then Sam Means is going to have to go do whatever it is that he does like that's outside of music to be able to feed his family. We don't have to do that anymore. It's up to you. And it's also up to the rest of the content creators to, to enable people like you to be able to support us. And if we don't, that's on us. But we're all in this together because the legacy models of content creation are all broke. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.